Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Luke. In this session, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. And to set that in context, we need to recall that at the beginning of Luke chapter 12, verse 1, Luke had noted that a very large crowd of people has been coming and flocking to Jesus, so much so that there's not even space for everyone. Luke says they're stepping on each other. So you've got a very large crowd of people. And Jesus, in that context of all these people, has actually been speaking to his disciples about their loyalty to him, their loyalty to his mission and his message. Because even though this large crowd of people is flocking to Jesus, the antagonism towards Jesus, particularly from the Jewish leaders, has been growing. And so that's the setting. A growing hostility towards Jesus from Pharisees, scribes, those whom Jesus has been pointing out some of their shortcomings and weaknesses, then a massive amount of folks of just popularity kind of swelling. And in that context, uh, with this crowd around him, someone blurts out a question uh, and asks Jesus to really become a mediator between he and his brother in a family dispute. And the topic of that dispute is their inheritance. And that leads to really the topic of this section, and that topic is money and stuff and God and life. And so this section all revolves around that theme of greed and money and God and life. And so here's the way this section begins. Verse 13, now someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Inheritance laws were terribly important to maintaining family land and family property, and so they were really crucial to Jesus' culture. Like, uh, And that's why the Old Testament law had all sorts of instructions on inheritance and how you're supposed to divide it and how much each is supposed to give, and because family land was central. Life was tied to the land, and so all of this is very, very important. So this Apparently, there is a dispute between this particular person who blurts out the question and his brother. It sounds like um, the family land has uh, the father, the patriarch, has already died. So the inheritance should have been divided between the brothers, but it hasn't been. The inheritance laws of the day were such that the family estate could not be divided until the older brother agreed to and that means this is the younger brother here asking for Jesus to intervene with his older brother who is keeping the family estate to himself for whatever reason. And the younger brother wants Jesus to intervene and reconcile this situation so that the family estate could be divided up. Jesus' initial response is to avoid getting in the middle of this inheritance dispute. Look at verse 14. Jesus said to him, You there... Who appointed me a judge and arbiter over the two of you? And so Jesus is like, it's not my place. It's not my job. I'm not in that role. And even though sometimes rabbis did get involved in these things, Jesus wants to say, no, that's not quite my, my place here. But Jesus took the occasion to warn not only this this particular individual, but really the whole crowd and his disciples to warn all of them about the power of greed. So verse 15, he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. 
For not even when one is affluent does his life consist of his possessions. And when he says when one is affluent, really the idea is when one has an abundance. So when you have a lot, that doesn't mean you have a life. So he says when one is affluent or has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions. In other words, uh, having a lot doesn't mean you have a life. Possessions do not equal life. That's the mistaken assumption of greed. That's the mistaken assumption we need to be aware of. If I just had more, I would actually have a life. Uh, underlying greed, at least here in this context according to Jesus, is this mistaken assumption. If, if I could just get more stuff, then I would really have a life. And Jesus says you need to be aware on that. And you need to be aware that that comes in a lot of different forms. So be aware uh, and stand your guard against every form of greed. It can show up in a lot of little ways, and Jesus sees in this inheritance dispute greed at play. Greed of the older brother, who won't divide the estate, perhaps. Maybe greed of the younger brother, which might be causing the older brother to do we, we don't know the details of their relationship, but Jesus sees greed at play in their situation and takes the occasion to want to instruct the crowd and his disciples to be on guard against greed and to watch out for this mistaken assumption of greed that life consists of possessions. Jesus goes on and he does this. He continues his teaching with a parable. Verse 16, he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began thinking to himself, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, I will build larger ones, I will store all my grain and my goods there, and I will say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years to come, relax, eat, drink, enjoy yourself. Uh, just a few observations about this simple little parable, this story. First off, this man is rich already, the land of a rich man. So he's a landowner, and he's rich, he's a wealthy landowner, and then he gets richer. His land was incredibly productive, um, and he gets richer as a result of that. And once he gets richer, what he decides to do is just, he's just going to build massive, large storage barns that he could store all his goods and his grain in, and then just kind of take life easy from there on out. Now, let's set this in its context of Jesus' day. The... Old Testament law, the Jewish law, the law that was to govern their society, the law that shares God's values and priorities, that law had great concern for the poor. When you read through the Old Testament, you find, for example, gleaning laws. The gleaning laws were such that you didn't harvest clear to the edge of your fields. You left that for the poor who didn't have enough. Or if, as you're knocking down olives out of the olive tree, right? You, you leave some for the poor so that they could come and gather those up and they could have some stuff for themselves. And so the law had those kind of laws. The law had um, laws and instructions about debt elimination. Every so often you were supposed to cancel the debt of all your Jewish kinsmen so they didn't have to pay. This is all how the law communicated God's priority in taking care of the poor. There was laws that meant you can't if someone borrows from me, don't take interest. And so in the context of uh, this man's law, Jesus' law, it speaks of God's concern for the needy and the poor. Well, here's a wealthy landowner, 
And that means he's not the farmer. The natural assumption of Jesus' original audience is that the man in this parable, as the wealthy landowner, had tenant farmers working his land. And he's gotten rich off their work. He's not the one that's out there farming. They're farming, and they don't have a whole lot. Um, and so, in view of the law's concerns for the destitute and the needy, or those who don't have as much, the whole point was that the haves would help the have-nots. That's, that's what the law was concerned about. And this man clearly would have tenant farmers working his land. That was common. Jesus had seen this sort of thing his whole life. And so, there's this assumption that if this man were really in sync with what God valued and prioritized, he would not just store bigger barns for himself, he would think of how he could help out his tenant farmers. Plus, uh, again, in the context of Deuteronomy, there's the warning about acquiring an abundance and forgetting God. I want to read you this whole passage. It's a little bit long, but it's so important to understand the value system in which Jesus is operating and thinking and speaking. Deuteronomy chapter 8 gives this long warning about when the Jews finally move into the land and settle down, and then all of a sudden they have an abundance, there's this danger they might forget God. And that's exactly what's happened to this rich man in the parable. Listen to these words from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments his ordinances, and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, and you build good houses and you live in them, and when your herds and your flocks increase, and your silver and your gold increase, and everything that you have increases, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He who led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, its thirsty ground where there was no water, he who brought water for you out of the rock of Flint, in the wilderness it was he who fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, in order to humble you and in order to put you to the test to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand has made me this well. But you are to remember the Lord your God, for it's he who is giving you the power to make wealth in order to confirm his covenant with you, which he swore to his fathers as it is to this day. So here in Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 12, we have a man who's totally out of sync with God's values and God's priorities, and he is totally self-absorbed. He's, he's like stereotypical of the man in Deuteronomy chapter 8, who's made wealth and thinks he's done it all by his own power, and now he can sit back and relax and enjoy everything he has, and he's forgotten God. In fact, notice the man in the parable, all really the self-focused words. He talks about my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, and in fact, in verse 19, here in this translation, it says myself, but literally it's my soul, my soul, as if he owns his soul. He's in possession of his soul. He's going to sit back. He's going to relax. And he's going to just take life easy. Well, Jesus continues his story, uh, this parable, uh, about God's response to this particular man's wanting to build bigger and bigger barns. Here's how God responds in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is demanded of you. And as for all that you have prepared, who will own it now? And so this man wants to take life easy, 
because as he says to his soul, I will say to my soul, ah, you have many goods as if, man, oh, soul, you can just take your rest. You can take it easy. Look at everything you've done and all you've acquired for your life. And God's response is, your soul is actually not your in your charge, in your possession. I'm in charge of your soul. Uh, I'm the one that's in charge of your life. And I'm calling in your soul tonight. It's demanded of you tonight. You're going to die. In other words, even with all his stuff, the man in this parable can't control his life. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have the ultimate outcome of his life. Remember, um, your life does not consist of your possessions. In this guy's case, death still comes. And he should have known this if he had read the book of Ecclesiastes, right? The book of Ecclesiastes is clear that even for the rich man, even for the powerful man, death still comes. And tonight, this man's very soul is required of him. Notice God's address, you fool. Um, this is the only place that I know of in the entire scriptures where God in direct address speaks to a person and says, you fool. Um, and the reason God says that is because this man should have known better. He should have known better. He's acting very foolishly in acting so self-absorbed. Um, so Jesus then states the point of the story in verse 21. He says, such is the one, just like this man in this parable with this end result, such is the one who stores up treasure for himself and isn't rich in relation to God. This is the initial lesson that Jesus wants us to learn about God's stuff and greed. That as we're seeking to store up treasure for ourselves, but we're not actually rich in relation to God, we have the same problem as this man in the story. Uh, we are being foolish and we don't really understand how life works and we don't understand what life is all about. But there's a second lesson here, a second lesson that Jesus aims and shares specifically with his disciples. Let's continue on, verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, For this reason I tell you, do not worry about your life. In other words, in view of the fact that ultimately God's in charge and ultimately your soul and your life is God's possession and, and God's the one that's supposed to take care of that because God is the one who actually gives you the power to make wealth, as Deuteronomy 8 says, for this reason, don't worry about your life as to what you're going to eat. Don't worry about your body as to what you're going to wear. Beyond greed, here's the lesson, the other lesson, about worry and providing for your life. And Jesus' point is, in view of the fact that your life is actually under God's control and thus God's care, don't worry about that stuff, right? Um, verse 23, he says, for, there's, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. When we talk about getting a life, your life doesn't consist of your possessions, right? That's where this whole thing started. And so he's saying, even the basic stuff, there's more to life than food and clothes. In fact, God is the giver and caretaker of life. And so you don't need to worry about that because there's more to life than that. And then he gives several examples or illustrations of this point from nature. Just look around at nature. And so he says this, consider the ravens. 
they they don't sow or reap. They don't plant crops. They don't reap crops, right? That's sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or barn, like the guy in the story who was going to build bigger barns. The ravens don't have a storeroom. They don't have barns. And yet, God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And so as you look at the birds, God takes care of them. They have food to eat. Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. If God takes care of the birds and you're way more valuable than the birds, don't you think God will take care of you? And so he says in verse 25, which of you, by worrying, can add a day to his life's span? Like by worrying and being anxious, can you actually add a day to your life? Is that somehow like you... You don't have control over that. Think of the guy in the story. He was going to sit back, relax, and live it up. And now guess what? Uh, This very night your soul is required of you. We don't know how long our life is. And certainly by worrying, we're not going to to lengthen the calendar of our life. In fact, worrying might actually shorten it, right? Uh, You can't add a day to your lifespan by worrying. Therefore, if you can't do a very little thing, like add a day to your life, Why do you worry about all the other things? Like, since you can't add a day by means of worry, why worry about all the big things of life, too? This really strikes at, I think, an important lesson for us to make sure we understand, and that is that control is ultimately an illusion. We don't have control over the ultimate outcomes of our life. And so, instead of worrying about those things, We should actually trust God with those things. Since God cares for the birds, don't you think he'll care for us? Jesus gives another example from nature, this time flowers. Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither labor and spin. They're not struggling and exhausting themselves and toiling, right, and making clothes for themselves. But he says, but I tell you, not even Solomon, King Solomon of the Old Testament, wealthy, rich, right? Like uh, the richest man of the Old Testament, not even Solomon in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these, like one of these lilies, right? Like, look how beautiful they are. Um, Now, if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe clothe you, you of little faith? Again, arguing from the lesser to the greater. If God takes care of the flowers and the grass of the field, which is here briefly, it's here, and then all of a sudden the hot winds blow on it, and it dies and it withers, right? If that's the way God takes care of the grass of the field, how much more is he going to take care of you? And this line right at the end, you of little faith, is actually um, one word in, in Greek. It's, it feels more like a nickname. Um, it's sort of like this affectionate little playful with a little bit of a jab nickname. Oh, little faiths. That's the idea of the word, little faiths. That's Jesus' way of chiding them a little bit, like, just think about it, you of little faith. Um, that God cares for flowers. Don't you think he'll care for you? And so what's Jesus' advice to us? Verse 29, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. Like, don't make it your ambition to acquire food uh, and drink, and don't worry about all that stuff. For all these things are what the nations of the world eagerly seek. That's what they pursue. That's what they worry about. That's what they clamor. 
for. And your father, your heavenly father, knows that you need these things. So don't seek those things. Your father knows you need them. God is aware. He pays attention to you. He sees your needs, right? You're more valuable than birds and flowers. Uh, so what should you seek? Verse 31, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. In other words, uh, you are, are to seek God's reign and God's rule. You are to pursue living in sync with God's value system and priority system. The man in Jesus' story wasn't. He, didn't, he was completely out of sync with God's kingdom. He had no interest in God's kingdom. He was building his own little kingdom. Jesus says, you are to seek God's kingdom. You're to be in, involved in God's reign and rule in your life. You are to live according to his priorities and his value system and carry that out in your life. And, and God will take care of you. These things will be provided for you. The basic needs of life will be taken care of. So Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock, because your father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Like As you seek this kingdom, guess what? God has chosen to give it to you. Literally, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's not just he has chosen it to you. He's pleased to give it to you. So it's not like you're seeking a kingdom and it's hard to find or it's God is you know, stingy and doesn't want to give it to you. God wants to bring you into his kingdom. God wants to bless you inside of his kingdom. And so he's ready and eager to give you his kingdom. So Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts that don't wear out, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, nor does moth destroy. This really brings us both parts of the section back together. The rich man in Jesus' story, he needed to seek God's kingdom uh, and needed to give away all his extra, or at least some of his extra, to take care of the needy, his tenant farmers, other people in town, right? Like, that's what he needed to do. Disciples, us, we need to do the same thing. We need to be generous, quit hoarding, and take care of the needy. In fact, we see this in the, the later teachings and the later experience of the church. For example, Acts chapter 2. Um, rich people selling their property and possessions and taking care of the needy among them. That's actually what happens when the Spirit is poured out on God's people there in Acts chapter 2. And now they're all brought together. You actually have wealthy people selling off tracts of land and some of their property, taking care of the poor. Or 1 Timothy chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and says, Instruct the rich to be generous and to be ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure for that which is life indeed. That's the lesson here. Like, don't hoard all this stuff for yourself. Make sure you're taking care of the needy. Make sure you're being generous and sharing. Make sure you're giving stuff away. And then we'll have treasure in heaven. We're seeking God's kingdom, um, and we're seeking to, to secure our life in that kingdom. And Guess what? That's a place where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. You want your life to be secure, you find your life in God's kingdom, in heaven itself. And the things of God, the things of heaven, the things of God's kingdom, that's the one place that's genuine, genuinely safe and secure in life. So Jesus ends this section by saying, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we began the section with Jesus' warning on 
beware of every form of greed, because even when you have a lot, your life does not consist of possessions. We end the section by saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if your treasure is in stuff and possessions and bigger barns and all of that, that's where your heart's going to be at. Um, if your treasure is with God and heaven's things and God's values and God's priority, guess what? That's where your heart's going to be at. It's just a fact. Your heart follows your treasure, your time, your energy, what you think about follows what's most important to you. That's just the way it works. And so where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so as we wrap up this section, just, just a few reflections. It's pretty obvious what the point is and how we should respond. I just want to emphasize Jesus' opening line. Life does not consist of possessions. Like, If we're going to get a life, that doesn't mean we get more stuff. In fact, we don't even technically own the stuff we have, right? Like we ultimately are accountable to God for how we use our stuff. We're ultimately accountable to God for our soul. And God can call in our soul at any time he wants to, as he does with the man in Jesus' story. And so life, having an abundance of things, does not give you life. There's more to life than stuff. And that has been a a theme that has been testified throughout history, that there are plenty of wealthy people who are miserable and unhappy because they have all the stuff, but they don't have life. Where is real life found? Well, Jesus believes real life is found in God and in God's kingdom. And so seek that kingdom, and then you will have real lasting life. And the other thing that's really important for us to point out out of this section is that the importance of trusting God to take care of our life. Do we have confidence in God's ability to secure and care for our life, regardless of what we have and regardless of what comes our way, is God actually capable of taking care of our life? Is our life safe and secure in his hands? Jesus believes it is. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus and disciples, we need to learn from Jesus. Okay, Jesus, I think you're right. I will trust God to take care of my life. And Jesus wants us to be the kind of people who are so secure in God and knowing that he can take care of us that we will seek God's kingdom and let God secure all the other things of our life.